For the past few weeks, we've been announcing this food drive, and I said, wouldn't it be great if we got a food bin from a Zend food bank and put it back there, and it was full and maybe overflowing, and if you can see, I don't know if you can see where you're sitting, if you can turn around, do you see that mountain of food overflowing and covering the back corner of that room? How awesome is that? Is that something we're celebrating this morning? So proud of you as a, as a congregation for your, like I said, extravagant generosity. We've almost blocked off the restrooms. Sorry, guys. You know, we tried to cut, cut a path through for you, but uh, that, is, that is above and beyond what I expected. And now we have to transport it all. So that, that's the next step. But thank you so much for your generosity. Those who are watching online, you gave to the virtual food drive. Thank you. We're going to get a count from the food bank. I know some of you here in person, you gave to the virtual food drive as well. And so I want to thank you. Everything you see back there is going to bless local families this holiday season because you, like we talked about our physical health, you used your physical body to donate and make that happen. You partnered with God to make that happen. And so good job to you. They'll weigh it for us and we'll be able to celebrate all those numbers. So all right, today is the last week of our series, Live Well. We've been talking about well-being. There's a word in the Bible, shalom, that runs its way throughout the entire scripture, and it means many things. It's, a, it's one of the, the, like the great Hebrew words of the Bible with multiple meanings, but probably the most accurate meaning is well-being, to live well, to experience peace, the peace that passes all understanding that we sang about, to live well. And so we've talked about living well emotionally and living well relationally and physically. And today we're talking about living well spiritually in a challenging time. Spirituality is a word that gets tossed around a lot. Isn't that true? And sometimes it's hard to even know what it means. Maybe you think of yourself as somebody who's spiritual but not religious. And, and spirituality can be hard to define. It's one of those things where you know it when you experience it. And, and, um, and we want to experience it. I think if, if I maybe can kind of get a handle on what spirituality means to most people, I think it means something like uh, being in touch with what really matters in life. What do you think? Experiencing inner peace, seeing your life in perspective, uh, an experience that helps you transcend the mundane daily grind. What about that? Something that helps us to transcend the norm and to experience well-being. Of course, there are common spiritual practices that everybody knows about, prayer, meditation, yoga, uh, spending time in nature, looking at the stars, and you're reminded we're made of the same stuff as those stars, and we see our lives in perspective. Or here in Arizona, you look at the Grand Canyon, and you think, wow, like, you know, what am I compared to all this? I'm a part of this, and we see our lives in perspective, and we're more connected to everything else than what we realize. But Today I'm going to share some practices out of my own life, and as a pastor, just practices I know that are helpful to people that I've, you know, I've talked with people about over the years. And of course, it's Thanksgiving Sunday, and we're going to talk about gratitude, which is a, a very important part of spirituality. But being the church that we are, uh, here's the place I want to start when we talk about healthy spirituality. Here we are in a church service in 2021 America. And the reality of the way Christianity is used in 2021 America for lots of agendas. We've talked about that quite a bit. So let's start here. For many of you here, your experience of church has actually stood in the way of spiritual well-being. Is that true? 
for you. There are times when your experience of church throughout your life has actually stood in the way of a healthy spirituality for you. Let's see if this is true for you. You, don't, you know what you don't want to be because you've seen that and you've experienced. You know the harm that is possible. You, you may be somebody who has felt rejected by spiritual communities or people you love are rejected by spiritual communities. Maybe it's been in the last couple of years when you felt rejected by a spiritual community. You showed up in a mask somewhere and you found out, wait, we don't wear masks here. That's been a story that many of you have told me. The events of the past several years in our country have clarified things for many of us. And you see what you don't want to be a part of. Some here are repelled by dogma in the institution of the church, institutional religion, organized religion. Whenever people tell me, you know, I, I just don't like organized religion, I tell them, I practice disorganized religion. That's, that's a better descriptor of, of my religion, but certainly what we have seen in organized religion in the United States over the past few years especially has been responsible for a great deal of harm in people's lives. Yes, of course there are good things that are done. Of course, but there's also a lot of harm. And maybe that's true of you. And maybe you see that there are lots of people who call themselves Christians, but they seem to behave in ways that are opposite of the teachings of Jesus Christ. So since we started back in person in July, we were online only through most of the pandemic, and we started back here in July, four families, it's now four, uh, that have uh, contacted me who live here in the Southeast Valley. And they emailed me because they saw an ad for the well. I think in all four cases, I think that was the case. They saw like a social media ad. And they emailed me and they're attenders in other churches here in the valley. And they have various degrees of connections in those churches. Some said they, you know, they can't really leave that church at this time. They have connections with youth pastors or missions group or there's some loose ends they're tying up. They can't leave their church quite yet but they know they're going to because they've seen things in their church that they can, they can no longer support. And they said, we want to transition over to the well. Can you believe this? Four different families since July. One of them, we had a Zoom meeting, and one of them said to me, like, nobody knows I'm talking with you right now. Like, the police can't know that I'm having this Zoom meeting. No, think about what that means. And of course, I didn't say this to him, but I'm thinking as he's talking, think of the level of control that he feels like his church has over him, that he feels like he has to keep it a secret, that he, he's having a conversation with me. Think of what's happening in his mind or what, what has happened in his mind and experience, however long he's been involved at that church to where he, he's in his own home, you know, while we're having the, the Zoom meeting and he's kind of thinking, nobody knows that I'm that I'm talking with you because if they did, then that would be a really bad thing in my spiritual community. And so that's a story for many of us here. We've realized that there is harm done in the name of religion and a lot of the experiences we've had, and, and we know what we don't want to be. There's a passage in scripture that ironically was the quintessential passage in my upbringing to describe you know, why we were the way we were in my, in my strict religious upbringing and our brand of Christianity. But now I see this passage through completely different eyes. Now I see it as a guide 
for how to live well spiritually. And I, I want to read it together now. This is a, for many of you, this is a really familiar story in John chapter 3. And right after this passage is John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And, and one, you know, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. So most people who have any church experience are going to be familiar with what we're about to read. But I see it now through completely new eyes. And maybe you will too. Let's read it together. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. And said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you. That's how you know Jesus is about to say something important. That's verily, verily in, in the King James. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Have you heard that phrase? Born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Adventures in missing the point. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, there it is again, no one can enter the kingdom of God. That means God's leadership. God's leadership in your life. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How many of you have heard that passage many, 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 many times in your church experience? And this phrase, born again, this has cultural meaning now, doesn't it? In America, back in the 70s, I think it was Jimmy Carter during his, his uh, campaign who said he was a born-again Christian. And that, that phrase entered the popular lexicon. And now, if somebody calls himself a born-again Christian, that normally means they're kind of fundamentalist. They're on the, kind of the, the, the right spectrum, the right-wing spectrum of, of Christianity. They're a born-again Christian. When Billy Graham preached this for decades, to be born again in that brand of Christianity meant to have a crisis moment of faith a crisis experience where you confess your sins, you say the sinner's prayer, and now you're saved. To be born again meant that you move from maybe being a non-religious person or a casual church attender to somebody who's a committed evangelical Christian. That was the meaning of born again that I grew up with. But like so many things, when you begin to go through a spiritual journey and you ask questions, and you decide, you know, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I still do want to deconstruct, yeah, but reconstruct something. And you, I want to read the Bible through new eyes. There are passages you read that take on an entirely new meaning for you that you didn't see before. And this is, for, for me, this is one of them. You peel back the layers of our religious upbringing and what, this, what we've been told that this can mean. And then perhaps it can mean something else. So here's the first observation for me. If you want to live well spiritually, especially as a follower of Jesus in 2021 America, when that's pretty tough to do, here's the first observation for me. Jesus tells an ultra-religious man. Okay, this guy went to, he went to church, so to speak, whenever the doors were open. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, some of you had that kind of upbringing. He tells an ultra-religious man, that to be in touch with God 
will require him to unlearn everything he knows to the extent that he will feel like a baby starting all over again in life. Think about, think about the weight of what those words mean. A, re- a really religious man, like the coworker that puts the Bible on the desk, you know? I mean, you, you know this is somebody, this is a, an extremely religious person. Jesus tells that level of, of beast mode religion guy that in order to be in touch with God, you are going to have to unlearn everything you know and start all over again and go back to the beginning. It's going to feel like you're a baby born all over again. Think about what that means. Think about the implications for that. In 2021 America, here's one of them. Religion can be the enemy of God. Religion can be the enemy of God. Religious people can stand in the way of God and oppose God. That's what that means. When you just follow this passage out to its logical conclusion, you start to realize that that Jesus now is, is beginning to hammer away at a religious system, an institution. Is all religion bad? Of course not. Religion means to do something with discipline. If you golf every Saturday, you golf religiously. That's all religion means. But there is so much toxic religion, and Jesus is, is unpeeling the layers here and, and pulling back the curtain and saying, this is what religion can do. You can actually find yourself opposing God and being out of touch with God, not able to live a spiritually healthy life. And then Jesus compares the, the spirit we're talking about spirituality, compares the spirit of God to the wind. And like Jesus says, you can't see the wind. You can't tell you know, where it's coming from or where it's going. You can see the results of the wind, but you, and you certainly can't control the wind. All you can do is try to harness it and, 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 and go with it. He said the spirit of God, God here, the spirit of God, our experience of God is the spirit of God is like the wind. And implied there is religion can be like a brick wall that protects you from the wind. Religion can actually keep you from feeling the wind of the Spirit. So Jesus says being a a spiritual person can require a religious person to unlearn everything they think they know and start all over again, humble, wide-eyed, filled with wonder, like a child, open, Opening their arms to catching the wind, like opening sails on a boat to catch the wind. They put up their sails and they catch the wind. Jesus says, that's what it looks like to be a spiritual person. And so if you are one of the many who are deconstructing and reconstructing, or as, as Brad Jersak put it in a, a book we studied a few months ago, if you're engaging in art restoration, trying to figure out what you really believe and how you really want to live and what your faith really means to you, you know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like you are being 
born again. If you're going through this painful process of losing your old church community or, or maybe you haven't been a part of a, a church community because you knew you weren't welcome there and you're trying to check something out for the first time and you're giving it another shot, maybe the last shot, and you don't know what you believe and you're not sure, but, but you're open and you're searching and you're looking for information and you're, you're thinking about what it really means and you want to be a good person and you love giving to food drives and you know you just want to be on Team God and figure out what all that means, but you're not sure, and you don't have it all together, and you're confused at times, and it's painful, and you're like, am I doing the right thing? I don't know. You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like you are being born again. That's a little bit different meaning than what this passage had for me in the past. Perhaps that's what it looks like to live spiritually well, to be spiritually healthy. And so what I want to do here for the rest of the sermon. My sermon's going to be a little bit shorter than usual, actually. I know you're disappointed. You know, please, no protests. But what I want to do, I just want to share quickly some things that have helped me in my spiritual life and as a pastor for the past 20 years that I know that have helped other people live spiritually well. And this is a good week to do it. I hope you have some kind of downtime this week. I hope you do for Thanksgiving weekend. And of course, being Thanksgiving, we're reminded to kind of lift our eyes and, and count our blessings and be thankful. And it's just a good week to try to adopt some new spiritual practice, so practices. So I just want to quickly share some things that I know have been beneficial. First, we'll get this one out of the way, and I hope this is true. You connect to a healthy spiritual community, and I hope the well is one of those. I would like to think so. I hope so, at least. And so a great spiritual practice, if you want to be born again, in, in the sense of unlearning what you think you know and starting all over again and being humble and open, and you want to search and you want to be a good person, and you want to follow Jesus Christ, the Jesus we read about in the, in the scripture, then, then I hope that the well can be a healthy, spiritual community for you. One of the things I know is true here for many of us is that you can heal here. This is a place where you can heal. You might feel spiritually homeless. You might feel alone. I promise you, if, for those of you who have kind of plugged in recently, if you get to know some folks, come to the Online Connect group, you know, serving in ministry or something, just anything, you're going to meet some people and have some conversations where you're going to be, oh, I didn't know that there were other people who felt this way. I just, I thought I was alone. You'll be able to share your story. I promise you that you'll, you'll meet some people that you can identify with. The mission of our church, it's not on the screen, but we just had a membership class recently. We talked about this. The mission of our church is to create a community where people who are thinking, compassionate people can find a spiritual home and cultivate a Jesus-inspired life. Because we know there are a lot of people who are thinking, compassionate people, and it's really hard to find a spiritual community they can belong to. And that's the kind of community we want to be. Our values here, we have three values, how we live out our mission. One is you're free to express both your faith and your doubts. You're free to express your faith and your doubts. Why? why? Why would you want somebody to be able to express their doubts? Let me let you in on a secret, one that you already know, I'm sure. In every church that makes people pretend they all believe the same thing, they don't all believe the same thing. They just make them pretend. And so here, we just say, can we just be honest with each other and just say, you're free to express your faith and your doubts. 
Questions and doubts welcome. So that, here's why, our second value, you can spiritually grow to become your best self. Because those, those doubts are often the thing that keeps people away from a, a healthy spiritual life and growing, especially if they want to be a Christian in some way, because they feel like they can't be honest, they can't be intellectually honest. And so if we get that barrier out of the way, no, you, you really can. And that doesn't mean the bait and switch that you have to end up agreeing with the pastor. Like, it's okay if you have doubts as long as you end up agreeing with Ryan. That's not what that means here. Promise. It's not. There are people who can tell you that. But, but you get those questions and doubts out, and you express them, and, and you live with them so that you can spiritually grow, and you can become your best self. And then third, you can partner with God to make a difference with your life. You can join God and God's mission in the world. You can follow Jesus. That's the kind of community we want to be. That's what we believe a healthy spiritual community looks like. Now, I have something cool I wanted to share with you, and I just realized this over the past couple of months. We were looking at the numbers, right? And most people don't like talking about numbers when it comes to church, but numbers represent people, and so they're important. Since we started meeting back in person in July, the, well, the attendance at the well and the financial giving at the well have, bu- have both grown by 75%. Can you believe that? Not quite double, but 75%. That's incredible. That's incredible. I can't take credit for that. If I can just be honest with you, I feel like sometimes I'm just flying by the seat of my pants, trying to keep all this together. But what's happening is there is health here, and you're a part of that. Your story, your experiences, when people do volunteer, they get in a group and they share, and you're like, yeah, same here. That's you. That's you creating that healthy community that people are able to connect with and experience healing. You can celebrate what God is doing through your partnering with God to make a difference with your life. You are a part of that, right? So yeah, connect with a healthy spiritual community. That's a, that's a good practice. And then second, perhaps learn that thinking people can take the Bible seriously when it's interpreted in the light of its historical context. So many of us rightly have questions about the Bible, how we've heard it interpreted, how we've seen seen and heard sermons and and troubling things. And you read the Bible and there are things we don't understand. And sometimes we realize the Bible isn't what other people told us it was. I think it's something better than that, actually. I love the Bible. But perhaps if you want to experience healthy spirituality in the Jesus way, It helps to learn that thinking people can take the Bible seriously when it's interpreted in the light of its historical context. So many things, like this passage we just read, are kind of lifted out of the Bible by groups, and we all do this without realizing it, who have our own set of lenses that we read the Bible through, whether we know we have them or not. We have a set of lenses that we read it through, and we impose our own assumptions, views, prejudices, through our lenses onto the pages of the Bible. And then we reread that end of the Bible, and then we think that's what the Bible says, and then we tell that to other people. And how that works is, especially for people who will make statements like, well, the Bible's the inerrant word of God, and so on. What they mean is their, their interpretation that they're reading into it is the inerrant word of God. That's how that works out. And that's what leads to so many questions and crises of faith and things that just don't make sense in our spiritual journeys. But when we realize that, actually, no, when we step into the pages of the Bible, it's not one book, it's a library, it's many books. 
And we're stepping back into a culture 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, on the other side of the world, in different times, in different places, written by different authors who spoke different languages. And you can still believe that somehow God inspired the, the Bible, the, you know, out of the, the Spirit of God inspired the authors. And, they, and, and so God inspires the, the biblical books. You can, you can believe that. It just doesn't mean dictation. It doesn't mean that every single word reflects God's eternal will. And there's cultural context there. And they had their assumptions and their view of the world as they wrote. And, you know, you don't read the Bible to, to learn about how to operate your iPhone. You don't, you don't read it to, to learn how to, op- to, you know, to fix your car. That's, that's a different context than what the biblical books were written in. And so in the light of their historical context, all the biblical books can be so life-giving. But thinking people can understand it in the light of its context. That's what we're hoping to do in this series that we're starting next week. It's our Advent series. Advent starts next week, by the way. It's like Christmas decoration time already. And so this coming Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent means arrival. And we mark the arrival of Jesus at the first Christmas. And our Advent study is called The Journey, Walking the Road to Bethlehem. It's based on a book by the same title by Adam Hamilton. And we're doing these book studies because they provide opportunities for us to have online connect groups. Because a lot of people here are looking for community. See number one on the list. And so these are opportunities to read a book. You hear the sermon that coincides with the reading. And then on Wednesday night, we're going to have an online connect group on Zoom. Starting Wednesday, December 1st, you can get the, the Zoom link at wellchurch.org, and you can read through this little book, and we'll watch a video together, about 15 minutes, in the Online Connect group where Adam Hamilton's going to be in the Holy Land, and in the spots, in the places where these various scenes in the Christmas story took place. And so what we're doing in this series is it's, it's like the Christmas story for thinking people, where we're going to look at archaeology and history and historical context. And we're going to talk about the events of the Christmas story, like the virgin birth and so many other things, and discover what did it mean then to the people who heard it for the first time, and what does it mean for us now? I actually want to show you a quick promo, all right? The promo video, it's one minute long for this series, The Journey. I'm really excited about it. The sermons start next Sunday, and then you can go to wallchurch.org to get that link for the online connect group. Let's, let's watch this quick journey promo. Christmas story for thinking people. Thinking people can take the Bible seriously, interpret it in the light of its historical context. And the third, if you want to live a, a healthy spiritual life, I would encourage you to practice the Sabbath. And you're thinking, oh, okay, this just sounds like more religion. Well, Sabbath is a Hebrew word that means stop. It means cease. What does it mean to stop or cease? Work. In other words, it's a vacation. 
Doesn't that sound pretty good for many of you? Let's see if this is true for you. You ever feel like, man, I really need some rest. You ever feel like that? We're so busy. We're so busy in our culture. Sabbath means stop, get some rest, take a day off, take a vacation. And so for many of us, we, we work so hard and we stay so busy because our, our culture values busyness. Let's be honest, even if we weren't that busy, you still have to feel like you have to say it. Oh, I'm really busy. That's something that's celebrated in American culture. We're hardworking people. But the downside of that is we get run down. We feel fatigued. We don't have time to reflect on what really matters in life. And we want peace and we want some kind of joy and fulfillment in life, but then we're just go, 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 go. And well, living a healthy spiritual life requires ceasing, stopping. And the positive message of that is you're not a slave. You're not a droid. You're, a human, you're not something to be exploited. You're a human being who deserves rest. You, you have worth and you deserve to take some time and rejuvenate and reflect on your life and what it means and be able to live a healthy spiritual life. Four, perhaps this would be helpful to you. This is one that's been really helpful for me. If you're this kind of person, maybe this is just kind of, if your personality is wired in this way, maybe spend time in places that are spiritually life-giving for you, especially earlier in my life. And maybe you're like this, maybe you're not, but I, I was the kind of person where I just benefited by being in surroundings that were like spiritually conducive to me. Like I lived in a beach town for a year right out of college and I would go to the, the beach a lot. Or around here you have the mountains. You know, some of you hike and you, you, or you walk along a trail and that's, that's the environment for you where you feel like you're, you're close to God, you're close to understanding life and what matters. There's something about those physical surroundings that just help you to think and reflect and, and, and be more spiritually healthy. I worked in a church years ago back in Ohio and there were some farm areas around and there was an old farmer who said he never felt closer to God than he did on the back of a tractor. And maybe for you, just being in some space Maybe it's a park. Maybe it's a room in your house. Susanna Wesley was the mother of, of the founder of the, of the Methodist church, John Wesley, back in the 1700s. She had 22 children in a small home in the 1700s. And, and she was a, a woman who was a spiritual leader. And what she did was when she wanted to pray, she would lift her apron up over her head. And that meant to her kids, leave mommy alone. Mommy's praying. That was her way. That was her, when you're a mom of 22 kids, that's what you've got. You lift your apron up over your head, and that was her space where she could spend time thinking about things that really matter. Fifth, engage in meaningful activities based on your personality. Living a healthy spiritual life doesn't mean that you just have your nose buried in the Bible all the time or that you're always in a church service. God has given you gifts and skills and wired you in a certain way that there are things in life that you enjoy and you're gifted in those ways and you should do those things. And God has given them to you for your enjoyment and they help you to get in touch with who you really are. Maybe it's listening to music or playing music, playing a musical instrument or reading. Some of you, you know, you're, you're, you're closer to God than anything else when you're reading. Maybe it's 
knitting. It's creating something, art of some kind. Um, it's uh, spending time with people, conversing with folks. Maybe you're kind of a mentor, a coach, yeah, and, that, and that's when you, uh, you really feel in touch with greater things, when you're hanging out with other people and talking about life. For me, it's, it's hanging out with my boys and having a good time and playing guitar. I may not play it very well, but I, it's life-giving for me, and riding a motorcycle. That's what it is for me. Just things that you can be engaged in that help you connect, help you disengage from the mundane and transcend the daily grind and, and be able to be open to thinking about things that are, that are greater, to have your arms open to the wind of the Spirit. Being humble and curious, like a child, and open to new information. This metaphor that Jesus gives to be born again is a way of saying to somebody who thinks they have it all figured out, first of all, you don't. But what's going to happen is, what's going to have to happen is, you're going to have to now be open the way that a child is open. To be humble, to, to face life with arms wide open. To replace certainty with curiosity. To not value blind faith. Faith is something different from blind faith. We're going to talk about that more in January, by the way. We're going to go into a new series in January and talk about some of those things. But to be the kind of person who is open to new information. There was somebody who visited the well uh, briefly here in the past few months and then uh, sent me some emails about, you know, what does the well believe and, and what's your doctrine on this kind of thing. Now, all the information he asked was on our website, you know, but I didn't say that. I didn't say it's, it's on our website, but I, I just I answered his questions. And I could tell, though, by the emails he was sending me, this guy's not going to hang around here very long. Because the, the tone of his email was, I, I have these beliefs, and I want to figure out if this church does, and if this church doesn't, I'm out of here. And that's his right. That's fine. And really, I mean, we are a Christian church. I mean, the questions he was asking, they weren't off base, and the answers were pretty easy. But he's coming from a, a church background where 100% certainty on metaphysical realities is demanded. It's, it's, a part of the, it's a part of the membership dues, so to speak. You, you just, you have blind faith. You are 100% certain about everything that that particular church teaches. And if you were to question that, then you're not really a part of the community. That's the background he's coming from. I answered his questions. I answered them. I thought I gave him good answers, actually. I thought he'd be happy. I haven't seen him since. I could just kind of tell but that that approach is different than the one that I see Jesus describing to Nicodemus. It, it, there's, this, there's this institution, this 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 brick wall of ideas and beliefs. And, and Jesus seems to paint a picture of a spiritual life that is different, much different than that. And I could just kind of sense, I don't think this guy has his arms up to try to catch the wind of the Spirit. I don't think that's where he's coming from. But for somebody who wants to live a spiritual life, I think that's what Jesus is saying. To be open and humble to learning. To replace certainty with curiosity. And for me, that means you can be intellectually honest about your faith. 
There's a saying I heard for the first time in a philosophy class at a Christian college, and I'm thankful for it. The professor actually just passed away a couple of years ago uh, after, after a bout with cancer. And he opened my eyes to some things. And one of, the, one of the phrases that I remember him saying was, all truth is God's truth. If something is good and true and beautiful, it doesn't matter where it comes from. It doesn't matter where you heard it. It's God's. Anything that is true comes from God. Matt and Jackie wrote a song with, with something like that. Anything, anything that's true comes from you. All truth is God's truth. If that's the case, I don't have to be afraid to ask questions. I don't have to be afraid of a slippery slope. I don't have to be af- afraid of being honest. There's nothing to fear. If all truth is God's truth and I'm searching for the truth, then guess who I'm going to find? I'm going to find God. I'm going to open my arms to the wind of the Spirit and I'm going to find the Spirit. If all truth is God's truth, if this world is God's, And everything that is true belongs to God. If I open my arms to the Spirit, I'm going to find God. And that means that love, not doctrine, is the hallmark of discipleship. So if you want to live a healthy spiritual life, perhaps that means keeping the main thing the main thing. In the Jesus tradition, Jesus said in Matthew 22... The greatest commandment is what? You help me out. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the next? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love, love. Love God with all you are and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And Jesus said all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Anything in the Bible, anything in Scripture, it's the foundation of ethics, even in, in, in the secular world. It's, it's the, the golden rule. It's to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's empathy. It's putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. Jesus says that's the main thing. In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells his disciples, they will know you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. They will know you're my disciples if you can recite uh, the statement of faith on your church's website perfectly. They'll know you're my disciples if you can decide, uh, recite a certain creed. They'll know you're my disciples if you always agree with the pastor. No, They'll know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's what Jesus said is the main thing. There are people who, in their reaction, will say, after I say something like that, there are people, like online, who will say to me, like, you're just trying to be cool. I gave up on being cool a long time ago. I'm not trying to be, there's nothing cool about that. What we're doing is, We're taking off the lenses that so many people have read the Bible through and we're just reading. Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, that's what the main thing is. That's that's all we're doing. And so if I want to follow Jesus and I want to live a healthy spiritual life in the Jesus way, well, then I'm going to go ahead and agree with him on that. And I'm going to say that love, not doctrine, is the hallmark of discipleship. Are beliefs important? Of course they are. Of course. But love, that's the number one belief. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. These are just things that help us to open our arms to the wind of the Spirit. And we'll end on this one. It's Thanksgiving Sunday to practice 
gratitude. You know, the best of Thanksgiving is a reminder to be thankful for the blessings that we have, to feel gratitude. Gratitude is one of the healthiest emotions you can feel. Lisa Firestone, PhD, uh, wrote uh, this article in Psychology Today. It's called The Healing Power of Gratitude, The Many Ways Being Grateful Benefits Us. And she writes, gratitude is perhaps the most important key to finding success and happiness in the modern day. Knowing what we appreciate in life means knowing who we are, what matters to us, and what makes each day worthwhile. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Gratitude is perhaps the most important spiritual practice, to be thankful. It protects us from so many things, bitterness and, and anger when we feel cheated by something. And of course, there are things that needs, we need to speak up when those things do occur. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not like you're just thankful for whatever happens in life. No, there are things that we protest, the things we speak up for, and we want to progress as a society, absolutely. But gratitude is one of the healthiest, if not the healthiest, emotion we can feel. I look at that mountain of food back there, and I know those of you who are online donated to the virtual food drive. When I was shopping for the food drive this week, I had my cart, and uh, I kind of had in mind uh, just kind of a vague idea of how much food I would, I would pick up you know, to donate to the food drive. And I got to the canned food aisle, and uh, I'm not saying that I heard God's voice. I didn't hear, I didn't hear a voice speak to me. Uh, I'm not saying that, that God told me this. I don't know, but it was in, deep in my heart of hearts. I put like five canned vegetable, you know, cans uh, of vegetables in the cart. And it was like deep in my heart of hearts, it was like the Spirit said to me, have I blessed you five cans of vegetables? Or have I blessed you 25 cans of vegetables? I'm, I'm in the middle of the grocery store. It's like, okay, yes, Lord. You know, and I got more cans in the cart. And then I'm not saying God spoke to me. I didn't hear a voice. But it was just, in my heart of hearts, it was like the Spirit said to me, you know, you, you gave that sermon where you talked about baby formula recently. And you know little kids need baby formula. So I better go to the baby formula aisle. And then peanut butter and so on and so on and, and putting things in the cart. And, and uh, I'm not saying I heard God's voice. I'm not saying, you know, God spoke to me. But it was like deep in my heart of hearts, it was as though the, the Spirit said to me, you know, there's still room in the cart. You've had a good year. Your kids are healthy. We've come through a pandemic. You have jobs. I've grown your church by 75% in four months. There's still room in the cart. And that experience for me was the experience, I'm being facetious about it, but that, the, that experience was the experience of gratitude. Wait a second here. As I shopped for food to donate, I felt gratitude for the, so many blessings in my life, including all the things that I overlook, I forget that these things are going well in my life. If they weren't, I'd be complaining about them. I know that much. But I forget that they're going well, and so I forget to be thankful for them. And I kind of made a mental list, you know, pushing that cart through the grocery store aisle, of so many things that I'm thankful for. 
And I know many of you probably had the same experience. This is so far beyond what I expected, the, the level of, of donating that you have done here. But perhaps this week, especially on Thanksgiving, you list those things that you're thankful for. And that's a spiritual practice to help you live well spiritually. So living with spiritual well-being, journeying towards spiritual well-being, it looks like being open as a child is open. That's what Jesus says. It's like being born all over again, humble and open and filled with a sense of wonder, living with arms wide open. It's like raising your sails to catch the wind of the Spirit. If you think you have it all together and you're just a part of a, a religious institution and you've got it all figured out and you even condemn other people who don't and, and you just got to protect that, it's like you're just another brick in the wall. But Jesus says living a spiritual life is like starting all over again as a child. And I, I want to close with this. I was looking through my phone the other night at old videos, which is kind of a spiritual practice. Because I was looking through you know, the past several years and, and videos of my kids, my family, and, and, um, and I, I found a video from it was October of 2017. And my boys were playing in our old house where we used to live. And um, I just love the video. I sent it to both of them. I sent it to Hannah, my wife. And I just love this video. It's one minute long. And to me, it just showed the way that a child approaches life. And it gave me a, a mental picture of spiritual well-being. Let's watch. This big bird ran bouncing a ball on his head. What? That is silly. That is silly. Can you believe that? Big Bird Graham's silly. That is silly stuff. Oh man. Off his noggin or off his head. He bounced the ball on his head. What's he doing, Grady? Yeah. Grady, what's Big Bird Graham doing? Bounce on Grady's head. <laughs> it bounced on Grady's head, right on your noggin. That's not exactly sophisticated comedy. But through the eyes of a child bouncing a little foam football off his big brother's head, man, that was good stuff. Belly laughing, having a great old time. And it reminded me that there's so many things we can become blind to in life. We're in the daily grind, we're so busy, and it reminded me of what Jesus said to Nicodemus. If you really wanna be in touch with the Spirit, if you really wanna live spiritually well, you're gonna to have to approach life like a child, like being born all over again. And, and things that maybe you didn't see before, maybe they just mean more to you now. Maybe they're funnier to you now, I don't know. But you've got your arms wide open, humble like a little child, and, and bouncing a foam football off your head, it's hilarious. Because you're just open to experiencing what's there. You have your sails open to the wind of the Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage that uh, is one of the most famous passages in the Bible. And um, it has deep meaning, even the, the versions that I've heard, there's deep meaning there too. 
and that's important. And at the same time, there are so many of us on a spiritual journey and wanting to live well spiritually. And I think this speaks to our experience. When we are deconstructing or reconstructing or, or restoring art, whatever metaphor we want to use, we feel like we're starting over. And there's pain in that. There's a loss of community. There's a loss of certainty. There are questions. The cognitive dissonance is real. There's confusion. Sometimes there's anger. And in our spiritual experience, God, it, it seems that those of us who feel that way, it seems a lot like we're experiencing what Jesus talked about. That we are actually being born again. And starting over again, unlearning and starting over with humbleness and openness. Ready to learn new things, ready to see through new eyes, ready to take off one set of lenses and, and question our assumptions and our prejudices and, and come to the scripture again with new eyes and figure out what we really believe. Because beliefs are important, yes. Figuring out what we believe. And then knowing the whole time that Jesus said the main thing is love. And this week, God, on Thanksgiving week, we pray that we would have opportunities to maybe try some of these spiritual practices, get somewhere that's conducive to reflecting or you know, do something that we enjoy, get in touch with who you've created us to be and get our eyes lifted above the daily grind to transcend those things and be able to raise our arms and feel the wind of the Spirit this Thanksgiving week. And that be can become a practice for us. And it can help us to journey towards spiritual wellness. God, we thank you for what you're going to do in our lives this week. And we thank you for the gratitude already expressed by so many people donating food to make people's lives better. We pray your blessings on them. And for those who would have donated if they could, but they're in a financial place where they couldn't. God, take away guilt from them because they don't, they don't need it. But maybe they could be recipients of food this week. God, we thank you for the healing work that you're doing in our lives and in this series. We thank you for what you're going to do in the journey coming up here during Advent. And we thank you, God, that you are leading us toward shalom, well-being. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said...